Hey everybody, welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot. I am Robbie Wagner. This is Charles William Carpenter III. We run ShipShape and this podcast. We did our last one a couple days ago on my origin story, and we're now doing Chuck's origin story today. Today we have a whiskey from Catoctin Creek. Catoctin. <laughs> yeah, they... Uh, I've been driving by, so this is actually local to me. Uh, it's maybe like 15 minutes away from here. And I've driven by a bunch of places with like Catoctin spelled differently, like mm. with like K-A-T-O-K-T, like, like, you know, back in the day, probably people didn't spell it the same when no one knew how to write English in like the 1700s yeah, or whatever. Right. Whatever phonetic spelling they, they were familiar with or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of that around and. That that's what makes me pretty confident that it's Catoctin because I've mm. like the K's are like definitely Catoctin. So is it is it Purcellville then? No, <laughs> it's per- Purcell Purcellville. You leave out like three of the letters, but yeah, it feels a little like Louisville to me. You know how people try and say Louisville, Lou- yeah. yeah, Louisville. It's like Louisville, so it's like yeah. Purcellville. Yeah, I mean oh the people God. living there were like, this is too long to say, so we just like. <laughs> And perhaps they had a bit of a different drawl when they were saying yeah. that. Tis true. Yeah. So this one is the Catoctin uh, Roundstone Rye. And it is, the internet says, and the bottle, that it is 90 or er, 100% rye. So it's just all rye here. And this is uh, from, is it Seal Back? I don't know how to do the B-A-C-H. Is that Back or Bach? Seal Bach? I like Bach. Sounds more... Well, we'll look up what the real pronunciation is eventually, but anyway, this is their barrel pick and they refer to it as the hot honey whiskey or something like that. So it's supposed to have notes of hot honey, which I don't know. We'll see. I feel like it's going to, well, I, yeah, it's going to taint my expectations. It does smell kind of honey. Okay. never know where to set things on this desk. You just need a bigger desk. Oh, it's big. I just have a lot of junk on it. Yeah, same. I understand. Putting a podcasting preamp thing, uh, board, that's probably what it's called. I don't know these these things. Hardware. Yeah, board. Yeah, so it's like on my desk, I find myself with this board. I've got this mic. I've got like two keyboards. I've got two computers, the monitor. And a Ethernet switch. It's a lot of stuff. And now some whiskey bottles, too, which is problematic. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to this. Yeah. Okay. And the smell. I'm smelling. You can't trust me on these things. But, like, overripe banana peels. Oh, my gosh. That is super, super sweet. And it does have, like, a little bit of burn to it. Yeah, you got to chew it first, remember? No, no. I mean, burn, like, like, hot honey, like peppery oh yeah 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 like it is it makes me wonder if this is actually like made with hot honey and it just doesn't say anything on the barrel or i mean on the bottle i well i mean i guess you could technically flavor it but i don't know why you'd want to do that i'm just really confused how these flavors come out of 100 percent rye Mm -hmm. barrels are part of it where it sits in the rick house or something maybe this one got a lot warmer and i guess if it sat in the barrel a really long time it could be like this sweet but it's probably the sweetest rye i've ever experienced yeah it's 
more like maple to honey than honey to me. Maple syrup. I think everything sweet tastes like maple syrup to me. Yeah, it is is a little bit. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, it's almost like between the two. I think. Yeah, you know, like you get the kind of flame banana flavor in bananas foster. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a little of that, and then you get the burn at the end, but not like spice. I'm used to like some cinnamon, some I don't know. Yeah, no leathery leatheriness. There's no like black pepper like you usually have a little Mm -hmm. bit of. Yeah. Yeah, this um definitely filing this under extremely interesting. This is another one I would not want to drink. Like I'm probably not even gonna be able to finish the amount I've poured because it's so so sweet. I mean I'll finish it, but yeah, it'll take me a while. Um so yeah, I would say this one is pretty cool in the fact that it tastes very much like hot honey. Um so if they haven't added anything, I would say this is a seven on interesting level. It's good and accurate to the flavor profile it should be, but on a I want to drink it level, it's like a four. Like, but on a like I want to show my friends how much this tastes like hot honey. That, right, up to a seven. <laughs> so it's a novelty bottle. Yeah. Basically, you have it around, and you're like, you want to taste something interesting? You like rice? Let's let's try this one. Yeah. Hmm. So then. Just in general, where does that put it for you? How many tentacles? Mm. I think drinkability is, plays a part in that, right? Like, it's not bad, but it's not something yeah. you can enjoy normally. Like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm having, it's the weekend. I want to have a nicer drink. But yeah. I want to, like, kind of enjoy it through all the way through. Maybe have a couple. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, to be fair and and subjective to... All of the rest of the ratings we've done, I would give it like a five and a half. Mm. Like average out the, like I I really like it from the standpoint of novelty, but yeah, I would definitely not drink but it. But not much, like so. the short stack, which it was like a novelty that I hated. Oh no, yeah, that's that was a novelty that was not executed well. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna say I have this like mustiness too, like in the I don't know the leftover gives it a little. I'm gonna go five. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's like, because it's not, in, it wasn't inexpensive either. I think that's a different thing to take into account. Like, I don't know, maybe like $70, something like that. So, yeah. you know, for $70, do you reach to this bottle? Do you suggest this bottle? I mean, you have it, you might like whatever. And then once it's gone, it's probably gone for you. Yeah. You know? And I would say the same for me. So I'm just going to go with a five. I think it would be really good for like cooking certain things, maybe like, Okay. Um, you know, something that you would maybe use hot honey on, like some kind of interesting dessert or something, but like kind of, you know, boil this down and put it on there. Like could be really good. Make your own kind of boozy syrup. That might be interesting. Yeah. I use hot honey on pizza, actually. Certain pizzas yeah. are really good with hot yeah, honey. I used to get Sorry. that at Ann Pizza all the time. Mm, yeah. Well, Mod Pizza actually has it, but we'll just kind of have it on hand. Fridays is family pizza day. And we'll get order out from different places every once in a while, make our own, and we'll try hot honey on a few different ones too. Yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah. So yeah, five. I say five. I say it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's worth a try. Something I could say if you saw on a menu at a whiskey bar or something, it's like, oh, it's worth a dram. Um, Yeah. Kind of go from there. Definitely. That's not going to get you any free bottles. This review is not going to get you any free bottles from your neighbor, though, just so you know. 
Yeah. Um, if there's any chance that anyone from Catoctin Creek Distillery comes across this, we are not saying you are a bad distillery. We like your stuff. This is just a little bit interesting for our tastes. So especially if you wanted to give us something a little more normal, we would gladly take anything you might want to give us. <laughs> right. You know, as a rye drinker yourself, you would like mm-hmm. to try their like regular offering. Like, oh, this is our normal offering. This is not any like kind of experiment or right. special. Yeah. Um, all right. So there we go with that. As Robbie mentioned a few days ago, we recorded an episode, which is an origin story episode, which is really interesting, particularly since my son is very obsessed with um, pretending to be a superhero and will be one when he grows up. As I'm often reminded, it feels very connected to that. While I'm sure he does not see me as a superhero, so my origin story will not end in radioactive spider bites or whatever. Well, you just have to send them to... uh... Is there a name for the the Charles Xavier? Is it named after him? The school? I forget the name of the school. Oh, uh, right. Um, I think it's like the Charles Xavier School for Exceptional mm, yeah. Children or something Descend like that. Just send him there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it totally <laughs> exists. Yeah. Um, oh, what's the actor? James James McAvoy is mm-hmm. there. How old he is at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, whatever. Yeah, was the original one. Right. Anyway. Uh, my origin story doesn't have very much to do with movies, or at least working in them. But uh, I know we've talked about little nuances of my many lives, of careers, through life. I think, uh, in general, about I did a little retail in high school and sold cell phones in college. It was a nice part-time job that paid well and that allowed me to I don't know, have a lot of freedoms there, so that was cool. Moved out There's to Arizona. Follow up to that. Sorry to derail you already, but oh, um, already. like, are you slinging cell phones like out of a trunk, or are you like at a store? Like, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that could be an episode into itself. So, I am <laughs> I am working for an actual wireless carrier, and there was a store, and it was in downtown Cincinnati, and there was like a main store, like on a square, and then there was like a mall at the like first couple of floors of an old building. And of like a skyscraper building and there was a kiosk there, but it was like not in the middle. It was like tucked to the side. And so I was just like an offshoot of the main store and I worked in that. And yeah, it was a, it was, it was a very funny adventure because it was kind of autonomous and the manager was always at the main store. And so we just sort of did our own thing, but yeah. So it was like legit selling cell phones. So I don't even remember the name of the wireless provider at the time. I'm, I'm, I don't know if they're around anymore. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like Sprint or T-Mobile or something like that. It was some other smaller one that I think got gobbled up by a bigger one. Gotcha. So yeah, I did that and then decided to leave the Midwest for the West Coast. Wasn't really sure. I was actually planning to go to California, but it's very expensive there. And if you're not trying to be an actor, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put yourself through that. And so I kind of landed in Phoenix and tried a bunch of things. Just was like, oh, what normal. I was in a call center for a while. I was a a valet for a bit, became a bartender, a blackjack dealer. And after a while, it was... um, really into photography. It took a lot uh, of that in college and um, I was shooting to go to photo school at one point, but through a random 
series of, of things, mostly money related. It didn't happen and I didn't really have any financial assistance. So, but I got to know Photoshop. I started building my own computers, some things like that. And it made me want to pursue more of a career. So through that, I ended up getting a job at a startup doing marketing work, but it ended up being like customer service, marketing. I learned how to like triage, like technical issues with their networking equipment. We were doing point to point internet access. So it was kind of like Starlink, but no satellites. It was just from like big skyscrapers shooting down to other antennas. Yeah. Like I still have at my house. Wow. That's that was not reliable technology, but I don't know, however many, 20 years ago or something. It's not reliable now either. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll just randomly have no internet. And I'm like, hey, um, you know, we pay you a ton of money for this. And yes, it's our only option. So you can charge us a ton. But like for that money, you should have it up more often. Like it shouldn't yeah. go off like five times a day. You're constantly, exactly, and you're constantly calling them to do a reset from their side, and, and then that kicks off yeah. other people. And and by the time you get in touch with them, like, things have sometimes already resolved themselves, or they're like, oh, yeah, I don't see anything on my end. And then you're like, oh, you're right. Like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm able to ping your endpoint now, so it must mean you're up. Yeah, yeah, basically. And it was a lot of that. So, yeah, things don't change, but that gets old after a little while. Yeah. And part of that, I just did so many things at that job. And because I knew Photoshop, this is like my entrance into the web world. One of the founders, he learned that I knew that and didn't want to pay a graphic designer anymore and asked me if I could jump in and do Photoshop things, do Illustrator things. I just got stacks of books and just kind of figured it out so I can update things without totally breaking it. Part of that ended up being the website as well, which was built um, using table layouts uh, many moons ago. So you would be like 800 picks with all nested crazy tables. And they want to just like change a button, which you had to do in like Photoshop and then rechop everything up and then try and replace the right square and then FTP the changes up. It was, uh, yeah, it was a real adventure. But um, did you have to do a... Uh... Like frames or no frames, or was it past that? Uh, no, it was probably frames or no frames. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah. I definitely have. I, like, as bad as things were, uh, I would say that's what I was working with. Like, it was really hard to do stuff. And there's just visual changes. I mean, you know, I can remember there being, like, JavaScript and some forms on the on the site. And I was like, no, I'm no, I, I can't touch that. That looks, like, foreign to me. I'm just going to make these visual changes. Yeah, I feel like CSS back then didn't really do anything. Like a lot of stuff wasn't included. So you had to just make everything in Photoshop and piece it together. Yeah, and you had to like set all these properties on the table for like how you wanted the inner contents to be. And then you would just nest deeper tables to get more explicit. Yeah, not great. Uh, (laughs) So then after that, I had a few other kind of odd, small jobs of similar nuance through uh through town so like i got brought on to so there was like a pet supply company in town and it ended up being like like they owned they had a big umbrella of pet like things so it was like pet e-commerce stuff they were starting to do and they were like making their own dog food and then like they wanted to kick off a line of uh pet training videos so like pre caesar milan stuff so i was like going to help them build that website and 
work on the e-commerce stuff. But then it turned out like they owned all the puppy, puppy mills in the mall in town. And they had me like taking photos of puppies to put on the e-commerce site. Yeah. I was like, okay, I don't feel great about this. Yeah. In between all this, I did a bunch of like side work too, just like learning to get better, helping people make their websites. I did some like graphic design, like collateral print work stuff too, with, with some friends who were in that space. And I worked for GoDaddy for a little bit, but like, so I didn't have to like do customer service and sell stuff, but I was in their domain services. So it was like, essentially I was managing GoDaddy's portfolio of like thousands of their own owned uh, domains, like renewals, thing, goofy things like that. And then I also had to deal with like ownership disputes. So if you were like, you know, this says Joe owns this, but I actually own it. And now it has to go to like some kind of arbitration. I'd have to like manage that process. Most of the time people would be wrong and lose their domain. And if somebody stole it from you and then like changed the names of stuff, there's kind of like nothing you can do. Did that for a while, still more websites. And then I started getting into the multi-level marketing world, which got me right. You know, it's just like uh, my moral compass is very loose. If you kind of think about it, but yeah. um, more money, more money. Yeah. Changing lives. They, they do pay, you know, they do pay well, uh, especially for like in town doing web stuff. Um, so worked for a couple of those getting deeper into the e-commerce side of things, still being dubbed the web designer. So I was doing a lot of graphic design like things I was like creating ads in flash and creating even some flat ads that could be used. Like if you had your own website and you were a reseller of MLM, then, you know, you had some collateral that was from the mothership that they would give you. And I'd make some of those, but I was also doing a bunch of the websites and I would make websites for their one-off events every year. Um, there was a lot of WordPress stuff at that time too. So it'd be like WordPress hosted things. So people could write articles and blogs internally a bunch and then I started doing things, working on like their entire e-commerce platform. So it's like once you're a member, you get in there and you can sign people up. You can see the breakdown of the tree to a particular degree that is it within your own purview. You could, you know, purchase products or purchase products for other people. So that really got me more into the, like the technical side of not just like brochureware, but in actual like web applications that could take something to all the way to fruition, registrations and signups and selling things and making a bunch of money and like having that related to the work I was actually doing, which brought me a lot of, um, I don't know, personal pride. Like there's just more than just like you were doing this event site. It's just information and it's very subjective. And maybe your manager says, I know that you, you know, you like this green button. You think green is a good idea for this, but I say, make it red because I say, make it red. And then now I did something too. And maybe that's harsh, but so, but I credit this point in my career with really <laughs> giving me the, uh, the decision and where I was going to go with my career. Um, so I just had a VP of marketing that saw that my hands were in multiple pots and said like, you really, you know, to go somewhere through your career, I think it's a great, I think ideally these things should be of separate concerns. So you have like your UX design, you have your web design and you have your, web developer, your engineering side of things and solving the problems and executing more business logic. And you should pick one. I thought about it for about four minutes, but then I waited a whole day just so he could think that I would, I would, uh, had given it more thought and I, I chose the more business logic execution layer of things. And, uh, he was surprised, but 
you know, follow through on the promise of encouraging me in that path and that direction. And yeah, it's, uh, I'd say it's worked out. Okay. Yeah. You just really liked PHP. So you wanted to go that way. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, during this time too. So you were doing a lot more DOM manipulation and then starting to write a bit more like full fledged application logic where you're saving things to a database, you know, all of that. But in a lot of it's jQuery powered. So you're mm-hmm. really like, stretching this thing for me. And I think for a lot of people, jQuery was kind of the entryway into JavaScript programming. Yeah. It was so much easier than vanilla JavaScript at the time. Like you couldn't do anything with JavaScript. And even if you like try to do a vanilla JavaScript thing, it only worked in, oh, okay. It works in two out of the four browsers. You're forced to, you know, on the browser wars, I don't totally miss those. And I guess they don't completely escape you forever, but yeah, that was like a very uh, challenging time. So, you know, there's the first step where there was a movement towards improving CSS and get separating presentation and, um, you know, the document layout and all of that logic, too. And then, although ironically, we've munged them all back together in a different different way, but um, it's less hacky now, at least. It was definitely a hack. It was like, oh, I have these tools Here's how I can cleverly make them do some other things they are not supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So did that for a while. Like I said, worked for a few different MLMs. So in the e-commerce space, but specific to those, uh, lots of JavaScript exposure, some PHP all along the way. I had touch cold fusion in that nightmare ride at one point. Wouldn't go back there, even, even though people <laughs> will pay you a bunch of money to do it. Yeah. And then like at a certain point, I decided I needed a little pause and and uh, take time to meet some not just professional, but life goals. So I sold everything I owned and saved some money. And then I took off to Europe and I still did some web work, but I was doing volunteer work. So I was like, I'm up for volunteering. So one of the things I volunteered with was the Homeless World Cup. Um, It's essentially like a grassroots train people, give people confidence across multiple countries, like street soccer kind of thing. And then every year they would have this uh, big uh, World Cup style, small, like five on five competition. I can't even remember now. But I was inspired because Colin Farrell narrated a documentary about it. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. So I did a bunch of web stuff for them, a little bit of updating on their site, and then a bunch of content work too uh, through that. But yeah, I had like seven months to sort of take a break from all that and try and do a bit of a reset came back. And then I was just a gun for hire a few places for a little while until the network came a calling. And yeah, I had a former colleague reach out to me to see if I was interested in working for national geographic. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do web stuff and do it for something I think is really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm in. So made my way to Washington DC and, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of like a five-year journey with National Geographic. Um, it was interesting too because I got to I got there at a time where that business used to be was very separated by department. Like every department had their own budgets. If they did anything internally, they had to exchange these yellow dollars, and then like so there wasn't really a centralized engineering group, and a lot of other teams just farmed all that stuff out. So then when I came in, they were like changing all of that. And it was initially just the news site, but then like it didn't take long to start like scaling up into other parts of the business, 
over time I got to work on like analytics, like global analytics. They had like a singular unified authentication project. Um, there was all the things with the channel and video and then a video player that got utilized across all properties. Um, a lot of advertising work for better or worse. And, and then started managing teams on my own there. So it was the beginning of my leadership career. Uh, was managing a project. I was like a, a technical lead on projects for a bit and a team lead. And then essentially managing both the internal teams and uh, a bunch of the offshore teams. Just ensuring like you're starting a new site and you need to utilize some of these global properties. So you need to be utilizing our internal login structure. You need to leverage analytics that we have all across all properties. So they go to centralized things like things like that. Was all this in react? I think you had mentioned before or. Oh yes. I should talk about some technologies too. Yeah. Once I've shifted <laughs> over. Yeah. I mean, not tech. Yeah. Leaving Arizona. I had only worked. Yeah. Essentially in like PHP or vanilla JavaScript or jQuery. And even coming in on that geo, there was a lot of jQuery at first. So the first framework that we started leaning into was uh, Backbone. So we wanted to like get into some of these JavaScript driven applications, uh, started utilizing Backbone, doing like a Backbone marionette thing. So we did like an entire Greenfield project in that, uh, which was like essentially across the magazine and like magazine archives, which was kind of cool. Did some work in uh angular for they had like an instagram like property for quite some time that was kind of cool because it was like instagram was very photo focused but the nice part were like there were actual there would be assignments and then nat geo photo uh, photographers would review and rate people who submitted to the assignments mm -hmm. so it was things like that that was kind of cool um nice. yeah angular yeah it was like this seems so because i had fought so hard to get like logic and presentation out of html angular i just from the get-go i know you were speaking on yours about two-way binding and all this kind of like tying the dom and like logic together it just felt so wrong to me i was very opposed to that and very angry about it so <laughs> but it was so cool like no one thought about oh this could be bad in some way they're just like whoa this updates when i change this <laughs> so i still didn't feel great about that i liked the backbone side of things and yeah it wasn't like component level re-renders or things like that but i mean it did feel like oh my gosh i can control all of the application here and i don't have to like worry about every single thing the server is doing first so i don't know that felt neat to me angular felt wrong just because i had been part of that fight of separating all these things and then eventually it was actually the um the unified like login project where there was one authentication one login one user across all properties we decided to do that in react as a react component and then it could just get dropped in pretty easily into all kinds of things you know jquery yeah. version munging was often a big problem sometimes, especially if there was like a project that had been outsourced and then it would come back in house and then it would be like, oh, well, we try and add some of our stuff. And now there's jQuery for version munging and there's all these global. You got to do a jQuery no conflict. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, React came out. Um, a colleague like showed, showed me a little demo about it. And I, that was a thing where it was like, what? This stuff is updating like real time and 
I don't know. I thought it was super cool. So we implemented it in that way. And then I was just like react fanboy as we were putting it across a whole bunch of other properties. Cause seeing a small thing was cool, but like seeing it in a major thing and having like a true single page application where, uh, that was, I thought a game changer enjoyed that for quite some time. And then, uh, National Geographic Media Properties were acquired. A new company came into play. And I, I think you were saying, and this was a trigger for me too, essentially one day I came into work and had to be like let upstairs and then was given this badge. And there was like these, these machine, like there was just like one day I came into work and there were these things like that you had to scan through to get into any door. And it had always been like such a kind of cool open property and like you know the first buildings from 1888 the one where my office was was like 1927 or something and it was just like that it was just like it felt like a college campus in a way and then now they had like basically put massive gates up around it and that's when i kind of knew like there were layoffs and some other stuff and i wasn't laid off and i was like still had a career path and things like that but it just wasn't it just wasn't cool not the same just wasn't fun yeah the, yeah, the whole vibe of things. And they, yeah, when they like fired some people and restructured and then it was just like, oh, I'm not. Yeah. OK, I'm not going to have the same fun on projects. And this isn't the same owners. And they now like want to massively gatekeep everything. So I was like, OK, I want to try a different experience. And I ended up next at a startup uh, in town doing um, boutique fitness management. So it was like a big piece of software that would do all kinds of things for you, like um, member management and like some location things with like special features, like around like you're in a boutique fitness class, you're to say you're taking a spin class and you want to be in a certain spot. You could actually not just reserve a part, part in the class, but like reserve your spot and uh, inventory management and a POS and all kinds of whatever random stuff. Didn't they like, layer on to that you could like if you want to buy like a protein shake or something it can be like there for you and that kind of stuff too yeah exactly so you can pre-order all these things so it's like after your class you can pick up your shake already and yeah so and uh, i don't know if it ever got to this but like the idea was eventually to have dynamic pricing so essentially like the airline model of pricing like the same flight could be more or less expensive depending upon demand and mm-hmm. they could do that with classes and even into the spot was the intention over time. So I don't know if that ever got implemented, but it wasn't while I was there. I don't remember anything from my short time there, so I couldn't really tell you. <laughs> yeah. So I came on board to help them build their engineering team, continue to build out uh, the MVP and launch of the product and to um, get introduced to Ember, by the way. So this is where Ember.js first came into play for me. And, uh, you know, I'm like best tool for the job kind of person in general. But I remember the first couple of weeks being like, why is this so hard? I really don't like this. (laughs) It's like making me do all kinds of things. And I'm always having to like, yeah, I just felt like I, any way I knew how to do something was wrong. And maybe that's because it was wrong. It was hard to say, but, um, having been so happy with my react experience and like our integrations there and, you know, there was the whole, um, there wasn't Redux at that time, but there was some other like state management thing. So there was like the router and maybe there was like Thunk or Sagas or something. I don't know. And so I was like, look, all these things work really good. Why are we doing all this stuff over here? But 
yeah. And then one day it just kind of clicked. It was like, oh, I've done this a couple of times. Oh, I easily know how to find the answer. Oh my gosh, I found this place where, and it was like um, Slack at the time or whatever. I found this place where I can like jump in and ask a question and people don't tell me, go read the RTFM, you know, go read the manual. (laughs) So this is kind of cool. Maybe it does kind of make sense. And the more I learned about it, it did. And um, it was easy to be very productive and, and really focus on harder problems like combinatorics for uh, that way you get every possible combination uh, depending upon the number of options that you add, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. So it actually just like turned the corner there, started attending EmberConf, started uh, not hiring Robbie, um, started uh, <laughs> um, inside joke. Um, and, uh, eventually like reviving the Ember DC meetup, which Robbie eventually took over when I moved. Uh, so that was all great and pretty happy experience. Um, startup world was interesting. There's a lot going on. There's a lot changing all the time. Um, people changing business objectives, changing, um, a lot of like features changing. And so work and then rework and testing and, Managed some of the internal team there, helped uh, manage the team that did the the mobile applications also. So, yeah, you can see the theme here. I'm like leading teams for the most part. Um, and really, I was having a so we launched the product in December. I had recently had a child. I was sleeping like two hours a night, but then like on launch night up until two in the morning, getting <laughs> getting the app going. Those two don't mix very well. Yeah, they don't mix that well. And so they between that and just having a new family and maybe wanting family and help for our child and ever growing family that, uh, I decided that maybe the startup world wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, went back to corporate dynamics and, uh, got a first lead that it was a team lead job, tech lead job that quickly became a manager's job. And that was kind of the intention when I picked it up was, uh, oh, there's going to be an opening soon. So let's get you and then go from there. And that was with Acquia out of Boston. They're much known as the Drupal company. Uh, Founder created Drupal. They essentially provide Drupal enterprise services, lots of hosting and setup and, and all of that. But I never touched any Drupal or PHP while I was there. Proud to say that. No, nothing wrong with that for some people. Just wasn't my my jazz. Uh, I was running teams uh, and working on the product. Uh, so one of the marketing products, and it was called Lyft, which was all about dynamic content through metrics and, and rules and analytics and all these crazy stuff, things like that. Um, it was also an Ember application. So that was really cool. There's a team in Toronto, team in Boston. I was in DC at the time, eventually moved to Phoenix remote the whole time and then just visiting teams and, and working to get that product. So yeah, I worked on two iterations of it and proud to say that always stayed on modern Ember iterations, even when uh, the, the product itself changed a couple of different times in terms of like what the admin was, what was the overlay, what was going to talk back and forth. All that kind of stuff was always Ember and always modern Ember. Well, Ember makes that easy, right? Like everything yeah. is backwards compatible to a fault. Like it's held back the framework, honestly, because they care so much about supporting everything, which is nice yeah. for the developer, but bad for them. And uh, the dev team there used to like to cite that 
So an early prototype or the first version of this, of Lyft, Ed Faulkner came in and helped them build it. And essentially. So it was made of magic and fairy tales. Yeah, it was a lot of magic. There were a lot of these like mini apps that were messaging to one another for different states and, and updates and their own own memory states. So essentially you'd have like this admin app and you would change one of the content pieces within the admin. And then it was also like an overlay WYSIWYG thing. So then this other mini app would get updated through like this message flow out that would say like, hey, the state has changed and then it would update on its own. Uh, so they like to say that it was like basically a early POC for card stack. Mm, that's true, I guess. Yeah. Which is still magic and no one understands. Like, so much magic. Because I worked on Lyft, I felt like I might have like a leg up in into this thing. And I, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I remember looking at it early on being like, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like NFTs to me. We're like, OK, mm-hmm. conceptually, I get this thing. But then I like look at it and try to like grok the reality. And it's no, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You get it, but you don't grok it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Which is pretty much everything Ed works on. He's on another level of thinking. And it's just like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, this is a cool thing you solved. I kind of get it. But then you, like, try to look into it and you're like, oh, my God. Like, no way. (laughs) Like, I don't know what you're doing here. Right. I can remember, like, at least two different Embercomps where he spoke. And, like, every time he was just, like, blowing it out of the water. I don't know how you did that, but the magic is amazing. (laughs) This is cool. Right? So... So yeah, worked at Acquia and the Lyft team just as an engineering manager and did a lot of like producty things. But I had a great team there. Was pretty happy for quite some time. Um, they did get acquired after I left, and uh, the next step is pretty obvious to some people, which is I left to join ShipShape. And well, you were doing some ShipShape before on the side yeah yeah i guess i should mention like at various times when i was in the leadership side of things i was moonlighting on some different things worked on some ship ship things yeah like early on even in like the nat geo days uh when some people left nat geo and then tried to do startups they engaged me and so i worked on some react apps in that timeline too so outside of national geographic i worked on react stuff too i remember working on early view things with some national geographic people and they were doing like some very media heavy things and since i had done things with the national geographic channel and their player i was engaged for that and so yeah when i was in the ember world but then doing more management stuff you know you reached out to do some Embry things with me on the side. And so, yeah, we'd been working together in that capacity on and off for a couple of years. And yeah, I decided um, just what was the next rung on the career ladder. And I decided that instead of more middle management, that getting my hands dirty and building a business um, sounded pretty great or at least worth a try. I needed to like check that box off. And a couple of years later, it seems to be going okay. Yeah, it's going much better since you've arrived. I mean, I guess depends on how you define better. Like we make a lot more money now as a company, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, maybe I personally made more before. I don't know. Like it's, it's tough when you're trying to scale from like one to a real company because it's, you're Mm -hmm. used to like, I can bring in all the money and all the money is mine. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been overwhelmingly positive for, you know, growing the company and, and actually having employees, like 
I don't know how to do any of that. So, <laughs> well, and, and the company itself has become more handsome. I mean, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's that. Yeah. I got to give me a Peaky Blinders hat so I can keep up. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you should. I mean, this is a winter staple for me. I don't know how we, we get some ship shaped logo. Well, it's ones, no beanie. It's no beanie. It's just, is not it that warm? Uh, it is. Yeah. This one's wool. I mean, they have them in like linen and chambray and some other stuff, but, uh, when it, you know, it gets below 70, I, I need a, a warm cap. <laughs> yeah, I woke up this morning and it was 25 and I was fairly sad about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, like if it's going to be so cold, why can't it just snow? But it never snows. Mm. Yeah, it's strange. Though. Like not that kind of precipitation. Yeah, it was, I was very concerned for myself and my children when I asked Alexa the weather today and she said it. it it's currently 53 degrees and a high of 68. I was like a high of under 70 kids. Let's bundle up. Yeah. Get the winter coats out. There are some <laughs> people that have puffy coats on this morning, but I was not one of them. Just a fleece. Yeah. It's all relative. Like once right. it starts getting super cold, I can go outside and not be cold without a jacket. Cause I'm used to mm. being extra, extra cold, but <laughs> everybody likes talking about the weather. So uh, to button up my <laughs> technology story some more though, I think, uh, should come back into so uh, Leave Aquia uh, had been doing Ember projects, although those things have evolved quite a bit for us over the last couple of years. There's been the dive back into uh, React, but more in the next JS world, uh, which has been a lot more pleasant, in at least for you. I know in particular, like React has changed a lot since like 2014 when I first used it, but you know, it was just always like bolt on whatever you think is best. And there's a lot of opinions there. And there's a lot less of that now. It feels like things are going in a direction, even if it's not next, but like where there's more opinionation in the uh, in that world. And there's like a couple of flavors. And this is sort of like, well, this, this or this, but not like anything you want in the Wild West. And a lot of people are using GraphQL as as your application state too. You might have some like short-term state within components or or even one level up, but like a lot of it is just like, okay, let's improve caching. Let's use GraphQL. The client side has a certain level of caching. Your server side has a certain level of caching and everything's like pretty quick. So like now we remove all of that persistence from the application unless you're trying to be an offline first app. That I've had the opportunity to dive into a lot more infrastructure. I mean, I've done plenty of like pipelines through Travis and Circle, and you're a YAML developer now. And now, now I get to do some YAML. So yeah, I've been able to like do things with the AWS CDK to um, to, like put together resources. So okay, you can set up databases with JavaScript. You can set up you know cloud uh, cloud formation stuff with JavaScript which is pretty cool. Dabbled a little in Kubernetes, which is kind of, I don't know. It's a, it's a nautical later. term. It's a nautical <laughs> term, so it's on brand. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where 2022 takes me in that realm of things. But that's okay. I can support everyone else. I'm fine with yeah. that. I think Kubernetes is in the same bucket as vanilla react for me like i'm just going to stay away from it someone is going to make it better like there's going to be a next js for kubernetes it probably already is it like, probably already is and and it'll just make it so much easier to use instead of being insanely complex and like 
a lot of people want engineering pain. They're like, I am the smartest guy ever. I'm going to do it all the way I want. I want to have like the biggest webpack file you could possibly have with all this mm. custom stuff. And like, nobody wants that. Like people that are smart, like there's maybe, you know, 5% of developers who should be doing that. And the rest should be listening to people smarter than them and using the opinionated frameworks that exist and just using them and being productive. Like you don't need yeah. to spend six months hand rolling stuff. Yeah, you don't like that's yeah, it's definitely not always the the right answer. I think that there is there's always time between innovation and abstraction. So essentially somebody comes up with this thing that solves a massive problem, but it in itself isn't necessarily easy to use. So then like adoption over time and then there's iterative improvement. And then at one point, like there's enough abstraction that it makes more sense. And I think like the AWS CDK is a, a good example of that where cloud formation was their way to like say, oh, you can do, you don't have to go and click through this like verbose console through the web. You can do a lot, you can do things a lot faster, but you got to like write it out in this crazy, you know, just crazy YAML stuff. And that also takes a while. So then what's the abstraction? Okay. The CDK is like, use the language that you know to write the things you need. So you're like, great. I need, you know, I need S3 bucket. I need database. And I just write that all in JavaScript and it turns into this more complex thing and then becomes like programmatically doing that. So I just think that's probably what it is. I can see all these things because they've been proven their usefulness, but they're, difficult to master and take like special jobs to master, then you're going to have people over time, like creating abstraction layers. Definitely. And I wait for those. I don't need to jump on the, the hard stuff, except I'm pretty excited about Astro and I've tried to dive in a couple of times, but it just takes too much of a time investment and I haven't done it yet. But the 1787 website will hopefully be an Astro. Oh, look out for that. Yeah. Once we have a logo. Well, no, it'll come out before we have the branding assets, probably. But, well, I don't know. I want to be marketing the space soon, but yeah, we'll see. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah. This Astro-powered site. Otherwise, I will reject that PR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to finish everything up before the baby comes in March. So mm. I'm trying to think whether that's the first time you've made mention on a podcast. I think it is. Yeah. But yeah, like short term, I'm uh, like, we want to get the co-working space ready. You know, it would be nice to start subscriptions in January. And then we have so many in-flight projects at ShipShape. We got Swatch. We got, if we have the time, we got Wolf. I would really love to have Wolf out as like a iOS app just to play with for people. Like, I feel like it would get a lot of attention, even though it doesn't do a ton of like actual real computing. Uh, it's just fun to use. Hmm. Uh, Llama. I was just talking to. Oh, I forgot about Llama. Rob, yeah. yeah, I was just talking to Rob about Llama, and just like thinking about that again and picking back up. He's he's in his own and fatherhood now, and so maybe there's opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we can get rid of a lot of these projects, like get them like swatches. Basically, once Swatch works, it's done. We don't have to do anything. So, like, if we can, you know, check some of these things off, then we can all work on Llama because Llama would be cool. Just tell me when Orbit makes sense. <laughs> hey, it makes sense to Dan, who's helping us redo the stuff. So, perfect. I'm into it.
Yeah. Like he, it already works. Like he refactored it to be the latest orbit, but then there was an error. We actually didn't have a test for adding a color. So I added one like, <laughs> and cause that, that was the one thing that was failing. So yeah, I need to test some more stuff and hopefully that'll be done soon. So that'll work all fine, and then we just get back to reconnecting it to the API. Oh no, it's this is with the like it connects to the API. Um, oh. There's probably an edge case where like you add three palettes, put two colors in one and one in another, and like undo a few times and it blows up or something. But we'll have to test all that. Well, we'll let people know, and maybe we can encourage those to give it a download and give it a try. Yeah, definitely. And we don't really talk a ton about. I think we did maybe the first couple of podcasts like if anyone's listening to this and has a suggestion for like topics whiskeys guests anything you would like to hear from us about instead of just us rambling about nonsense um we are totally down to do any of those things so um we do have twitter uh we don't have a specific twitter for this uh podcast but we have ship shape code is the ship shape twitter and you can also reach out to us on our website shipshape.io so yeah, we would just love to hear from you guys about, you know, do you absolutely hate this and we should just stop doing this? Or do you have ideas for making it better? You know, always better when everyone's involved. Agreed. I'd rather talk about what people want to, th- want to hear and not just strange interests. Yeah. Although we'll be talking more about NFTs and potentially having a NFT dedicated segment because a new one is out every like three minutes. So we'll start talking about some cool ones. And shout out to Gary Vaynerchuk, who is the god of NFTs and anything he tweets blows up. Maybe tweet our podcast, Gary, if you ever hear this, (laughs) we can get some more listeners. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, certainly wouldn't hurt. Yeah, we got our recur passes today. Hopefully that's of use. Yeah, I have no idea what it like. It's so vague. It's just like, yeah, this is for like you know, param was it Paramount or no Viacom Viacom and like Nickelodeon or I don't know. I know that the first NFT they're going to release is like Hello Kitty, but then, then they're going to do like Care Bears and they're going to do some movie related ones. Um, it's hard to, let's see here. There's sports teams. So it looks like LSU university of Michigan movies, like mean girls and Ferris Bueller's day off. The way I understood it, your past gets you one of those things. Like you may get, access to like something specific in an an event or something for one of those things. But otherwise it's like, doesn't work for all the things, you know? Um, I saw it as getting you early access. So a lot of times, like if you're an NFT owner of a certain maker and they do a new project, like, Oh, you're an existing owner. So now you get first dibs. Uh, And I kind of saw it as that, Oh, you want to pass. So there, I mean, it's pretty clever. It gives you like early access to things forever and it helps them gauge interest. Well, I was confused because you could buy up to a thousand, which made me think they were only good for one thing each, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I think like you probably can only like buy one of each. Like say you get early access and your pass gets you one FT from this drop. Okay. So if you had a thousand, you could get a thousand from that drop. Yep. Gotcha. Because they're all probably assigned a different address. And I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it seems like all you really need is some really good art and like some scarce NFTs and like one person to tweet about it. That's like popular and you 
have tons of money. Yeah, I think the marketing and social aspects of it are very um, important. And I think that's where I will probably fall short. Um, I don't ha- I don't even do my own social media, so I can't imagine being much of an evangelist for any of these things. But uh, and everybody starts a Discord server, so then you're trying to gauge from that. Yeah, social media has gotten hard. Yeah, it really like, has. I used to do MySpace marketing, which was easy because like back then – you could just auto like add everyone as a friend, like run programs to get more friends and like, you know, just be more successful by doing nothing really. Um, but now that's, that kind of stuff doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's across what, how many things that's part of it. I don't know. I'm really disappointed that Instagram isn't just about like finding cool art, like, Oh, cool. Independent photographers came more of a social thing. It lost yeah. me. I mean, it's by Facebook, right? Like there's, there's never going to be that. Like, I think NFTs can solve that problem a little bit. Like you can find once, once this huge initial push of like everyone ever is making an NFT cause they might make a couple bucks goes away. It'll be like real art and like cool stuff. Possibly. Well, there was the Damien Hirst drop. So the fact that there was a real artist already getting involved was, uh, is cool. I wish I had at least known about that. I would have been interested in owning some real art. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Step one is knowing about things. And step two is like being able to get it. Like, you know, we were trying to get those baseball cards and like sit there for like an hour and then it's like, nope, we're sold out. Like ridiculous. Right. Well, the demand is there. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, the FOMO is real. And with that in mind, mm-hmm. catch the ship shape NFT coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> How many variations of the octopus like character can we actually present i mean the fewer the more they're worth right so we'll do 20 rare variations so that's the thing so like if you're doing a singular thing what you want is there's an algorithm that will give it particular traits and then the rarer traits are worth more money so you need variations and then you run it through an algorithm and then it might do a hundred of one two of another and so the two one is the yeah. Hot one. I don't know. We should talk to Ian. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a, a thing about the rarity and stuff. There was for the Shiboshis that I have a couple of the, I think 90% of the top, like 1% rare ones were sold to one person that was like using a bot to like, he like game the system to like get them all then sold them all mm. for like a hundred ETH each, like, Shh. like made millions of dollars and like disappeared. And it's just wow. like, I want to learn that. Like, that's some smart stuff. Yeah. Well, I know that there are bots, but I don't really know how that all works. So Yeah, I don't either. But we'll talk a lot more about that next time, probably. Uh, well, no, not next time. Next time, I think we have Can See Dots. You may know from React and Twitter and things. We're going to be doing a holiday episode. And yeah. If you liked this, subscribe and let us know if there's things you want us to talk about or whiskeys you want us to try, etc. And catch you guys next time. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
for more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.